Welcome to Subject ACT with me, Heather Murray. Subject ACT brings you stories from your local Canberra community and beyond, stories with a global dimension. Now, who among you has seen the classic 1968 film, 2001, A Space Odyssey? Well, one of the key characters in that film is an artificial intelligence computer called HAL, who controls the systems of the Discovery One spacecraft. It also benignly watches over the crew. That is, until its artificial intelligence capabilities begin to disintegrate and things become very, very unnerving. Since the 60s, humanity has imagined the promise of artificial intelligence. But, as evidenced by Kubrick's film, we also carry an anxiety about the darker potential of AI. Now the future has arrived. My guest tonight is Jeannie Patterson, Professor of Law at the University of Melbourne. We're going to be looking at the use of AI in Australia, including the use of biometric data, its implications and why we should care. And just a note that due to COVID lockdown in Canberra, this interview was recorded entirely via Zoom and so the sound quality is a little low. Welcome Jeannie, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's delightful to be here. Thanks, Heather. Have you seen Kubrick's film, Jenny? Oh, yes. Um, And in fact, I use it as a teaching tool. Oh, really? (laughs) I had a smile when you mentioned it. Okay. Well, I won't get you to critique it as it's often split down the middle between fans and detractors. Jenny, it seems to me that AI and the use of an individual's biometric data is starting to embed itself into so many aspects of life. And it's almost creeping up around us without our noticing it. Is this an unreasonable impression? What's going on? Um, No, I think it's entirely accurate. We are hearing more and more about AI and AI is being used more and more in both um, government, industry and indeed educational context. The only qualification I'd make is how was a almost a superhuman or a super intelligence he was very close to probably what we call general ai which is ai that surpasses humans in their capacity to think and do things the ai that we have at the moment is nowhere near as sophisticated and i think that distinction is not always appreciated right my feeling is that ai is growing exponentially Yeah, so some, absolutely. So some of the most common uses of AI are in what are sometimes called automated or algorithmic decision-making systems um, or um, facial recognition systems. So using technology to to, um, process large amounts of data and come out with a recommendation or a decision. And the problem with those systems is that they're only as good as the data they're trained on. And typically that data historically tends to be from the dominant cohort, which will be um, white men. And the systems work very poorly to anyone who doesn't fall in that cohort. So it might be women, it might be non-white communities, and it also might be people who are poor or disabled. It's it's anybody who isn't mainstream. Mm. What are some examples? Well, a couple of examples would spring to mind. So some sort of uses of AI that have made the um, media in the last few years are the use of AI for facial recognition, for CV sorting, 
and grading algorithms, the off-coil algorithms. So I'll, I'll just mention those three. So the first one, facial recognition. There's two uses of AI for facial recognition. One is what's called one-on-one -on -one recognition. That's the facial recognition or the um, other kinds of biometric identification that we might use to open our phones or indeed open our cars now, recognises our eyes, our faces, even our voices to give us access to some form of technology. But there's also um, facial recognition, which is one to many. That's where photos of people are scanned and then used to identify, or the aim is to identify someone in a crowd. So if we have a crowd going into a football stadium, um, there may be an, a use of AI to identify known terrorists or criminals in that crowd, or there might be police may scan a subway to try and find criminals on the subway using um, photos that they hold of those criminals and trying to identify them from CTV footage. The problem is that that technology is really inaccurate in identifying faces of people when they're on the move or faces that under poor lighting or even um, faces of people, women or people of colour. So the identification is inaccurate. So we've had some examples in the US of people pulled in um, and accused of committing crimes that, in fact, they didn't commit, they couldn't have committed, they were nowhere near the place the crime was committed because the facial recognition technology was just so inaccurate. It didn't, couldn't really match the face captured on the CTV with the face of someone the police had a photograph of. So that's that first example of um, the bias that may be in, in the technology, just that it's not trained on wide enough data and itself is very inaccurate. The second example is the use of technology to sort CVs. There's a famous use by Amazon that tried to develop an algorithm to identify who'd be a good candidate for a software engineering position. Now, of course, in the past, all software engineers applying to Amazon were, were males and had, a, had certain features in their CVs that were common to young men going to university and studying software engineering. They played certain sports. They belonged to certain clubs. They went to certain colleges at university and the CV sorting algorithm learned to look for those features and to identify those features as what made a successful software engineer. So therefore it wasn't going to pick women because right. they had a different background. Yeah. And then the last example I'd used was the um, uh, Ofqual algorithm, which was an algorithm that was attempted to be used in England to give final grades to students who weren't able to sit their exams because of COVID. And again, it used on, on, on past data, historical data, and that meant that the grades of students who went to prestigious public schools, which are private schools in Australian terms, had their grades inflated and people who went to low socioeconomic schools had their grades deflated because the algorithm simply using past information and historically kids who go to uh, prestigious public schools do very well in their final exams and kids that go to low CSES schools don't. And the unfairness there is you're always going to have outliers. You're always going to have the kid who's at a, a low SES school who's worked really hard, done very well, and was going to surpass expectations and historical patterns. And the algorithm just didn't factor that in. Teachers had no way of identifying students who might be the outliers who would exceed expectations at the low SES schools or conversely would do worse than predicted at, at, at the public schools. So the algorithm there was unfair as well, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. 
so the sort of common theme there is that algorithms are just sorting data. So they're going to find patterns in data, but that doesn't mean they're true or right. It means they're as good as the data they're given. And, and that's really the, the limitation on what we can do with AI. It can have some good uses, it can have some poor uses, but it's only as good as the data that's used to train it. So there's a concern about bias, there's a concern about inaccuracy, there's a concern about privacy, and there's a concern about civil liberties. And they're all important considerations that need to be debated and they tend to get lost in the glamour of, oh, we're going to use AI to solve a problem. So where do you think the debate is then at the moment with the public? Where's the conversation sitting? I don't think it's actually happening. I think the debate isn't happening. I think that there's a lack of understanding and a willingness to engage with the debate, to be honest. It tends to get framed in various sort of binary terms. You're either with it or against it. And people who question the use of technology are sometimes dismissed as saying, oh, well, you know, don't you realise that we want to use this technology to catch criminals? And equally, people who are in favour of the technology some get sometimes get challenged as being, you know, against civil liberties. In fact, the debate, as I keep saying, just needs to be a little bit more nuanced. We need to understand the capacities of the technology to be able to weigh, out how, weigh up how and when it should be used. This... Use of AI may be very controversial, but its use of facial technology has been used by governments in other ways in the past, hasn't it? Yeah. So the police forces are very interested in facial recognition technology. So it's been rolled out, it's been used in the UK or it's been trialled in the UK um, and it's also been used in the US. Um, And it's also been used in China Um, Now, a lot of tech companies are pulling out of facial recognition technology because it is inaccurate. Oh, really? Um, And there is this, yeah, there is a concern about bias. So, you know, a number of companies have said, we don't actually want to be um, investing in this technology at the moment because it doesn't work. And in the UK, the use of facial recognition technology by the Welsh police was actually said to be unlawful in a court because it simply didn't have enough protections built into it. It hadn't, there hadn't been a, they hadn't, in rolling out that technology, they hadn't dealt sufficiently with the risk of bias and inaccuracy and the like. So mm. there's a lot of concerns about the technology simply because it's inaccurate. If you go to the case of self-driving cars, you many of the listeners will remember Uber um, has been trialling self-driving cars. And a few years ago, I think it was 17, 2017 or 2018, a pedestrian was sadly hit by a self-driving car. The, the pedestrian stepped out onto the road, not using a pedestrian crossing and was wheeling a bicycle. And the, the computer vision in the self-driving car, which is very similar to the technology that's used for facial recognition, did not recognise the pedestrian. It thought that pedestrians only crossed at pedestrian crossings and it also thought pedestrians didn't push bikes. So it didn't recognise the pedestrian and, hit, and tragically she was killed. Mm. And... That makes my point that facial recognition technology is not that good at recognising stuff it doesn't know. So if it hasn't seen it before, it doesn't necessarily recognise it. So I don't think we want to put a lot of faith in a technology that's unreliable and has other adverse consequences like invading privacy, potential risk to civil liberty, adverse consequences for marginalised and disadvantaged communities who may not be able to challenge you know, findings that were just wrong. 
Well, in, in that light, I understand that there's a federal government database which was introduced by the Turnbull government called the National Facial Biometric Matching Capability or the Capability for short. And it's being used largely with support of the states and the Northern Territory. What type of data does the capability collect and what's the motivation for its use? Well, the government, the federal government at the moment um, would like to um, reduce the, I mean, this, this, again, there's two issues here. The federal government would like to reduce the complexity for people, for citizens in accessing government services. So there is a bit of a push to have a digital identity so citizens can verify their identity and then get access to, an, to a range of services, a bit like we already have if we happen to have the MyGov app, but using a digital identity, a facial recognition identity or other biometric markers to allow us to access government services. Now, there's an advantage there because it's very, very tiring for individuals and less efficient to have to access every single government service individually. There is an attraction in having a one door to access all government services and for government services themselves to be able to share data between themselves when dealing with a citizen. So th there's an argument that if we create digital identities that can be verified easily, ideally through biometric data, that improves the service that can be provided to citizens. But the flip side of that is it also allows greater surveillance of citizens and the capability project is not very clear in exactly where it is and what's being done under it. So there is a great interest in getting, for the government, getting better at facial recognition not just to allow citizens to access government services, but also to allow governments to better track citizens. And that's where I think that there needs to be greater transparency in the debate, because as I've said, it tends to fall into, if you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to hide, don't worry about this. It's going to be used to catch criminals, terrorists, pedophiles. So it's going to keep Australia safe. Mm. Now, of course, we want to keep Australia safe. And of course, many people have nothing to hide. But there's many grey areas between those extremes. And there's many examples of the use of digital technology and AI technology in ways that have been harmful to individual citizens, particularly individual citizens who are marginalised or in some way vulnerable and for that technology to be used against their interests. So I just think we need to be very careful about understanding more about the technology and thinking about the checks and balances before it's rolled out widely and go beyond that sort of bin very binary yes-no debate. For example, in the New South Wales, they've had a system for one of the uses of, of AI technology is not just facial recognition, but also crime prediction. So to take a range of factors and identify where there's crime hotspots. And one of the uses of that in the US has been PredPol, which predicts areas where crimes are likely to occur. In New South Wales, they've had a variation on that, which is not using particularly sophisticated technology, but is an effort to try and identify individuals who are likely to to commit crimes, to be able to intervene, to stop that happening, and also to identify communities where crime is likely to be high to intervene and prevent that happening. 
But there was a report on that system and it was found that really what it was doing was targeting young Indigenous people, so over-policing Indigenous communities. Now, that's that's not a great outcome. And again, it, it just shows that the data is supposedly objective, but in fact, we make decisions about how we use data. Data is never objective because it's always collected in particular ways from particular people and used in certain purposes or end goals. So data itself doesn't is, isn't an objective, neutral way of solving problems. It's historically um, loaded, mm. um, so to speak. So any AI is a data-driven technology. So we need to understand that and think very carefully about how it's used. You're listening to 2XXFM, people-powered radio. And the show is Subject ACT. You're with me, Hedda Murray. My guest tonight is Jeannie Patterson, Professor of Law at the University of Melbourne. We're chatting via Zoom about the use of artificial intelligence in Australia, its permutations, its potential and its ramifications. So let's look at what artificial intelligence is good at, how it's being regulated and, importantly, why we need to open up public debate on its use. AI can do all sorts of great things and it can remove a lot of repetitive jobs. It's great at scanning documents. It's great at um, processing simple claims. It's possibly good at diagnosing some diseases or giving advice on the treatments for disease. So it's tremendously useful for repetitive tasks or tasks that require the synthesis of large amounts of information. But where AI impinges on the way citizens lead their lives, their interactions with governments, the types of opportunities they will be given to goods and services, we need to think very carefully about how it's used. So perhaps there's an opportunity for an erosion of public trust in facial technology if we don't open the debate a bit further and put some restrictions around its use. Surely at the moment there is some kind of legislative restriction around the use of AI facial recognition technology, biometric technology, these sorts of things? Not really, I'm afraid. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, Well, it depends. So uh, government agencies and large corporations, large businesses are subject to the Privacy Act. The Privacy Act legislation passed in 1988. So there are rules in the Privacy Act about collecting personal information and personal sensitive information. So biometric information is personal sensitive information. So there's certain rules about how that can be collected and how it can be used. But that act was written in 1988. So it was primarily premised on the time when we, you know, personal information was photographs and documentary evidence about people and the identifiers were our name and phone numbers and birth dates. We're now we're dealing with a time where we can, you know, identify people from their social media posts, where we can collect biometric information about their irises, their faces, their voices, even the way they walk to be able to re-identify them. So the technology has advanced and the Privacy Act is a fairly crude way of dealing with the sort of challenges to privacy and autonomy that come from the possibilities for identification through using digital or technologies or AI. So the Privacy Act 
puts in place some rules about the types of information that can be collected by people. And generally, anybody collecting personal information needs to have a lawful basis for doing that. But one of those lawful bases is consent. And one is that there's a law allowing it. So if you go to a shopping centre, for example, that shopping centre can have a sign on the door that says, if you enter these premises, we can track your movement through the shopping centre using Bluetooth beacons, and we can take a photograph of you or film you as you move around the shopping centre. We enter the shopping centre. That's consent to those processes occurring. And similar the similar strategies for governments. So there's some protections on privacy, but they're fairly weak protections. And in fact, there's a review of the Privacy Act going on at the moment. If we jump over to the EU, they have at the moment a draft AI bill or an AI act um, in our terms, which would actually put some very specific limitations on the use of AI technology in society. And it would, in fact, ban the use of technology that engaged in biometric surveillance, except for very specific purposes. So that would be anti-terrorism purposes, for example. And then generally with the use of AI technologies would require utmost transparency. People need to be told when when AI technology is making decisions about them and would also require auditing of the technologies to identify when there was high rates of error or bias. Now, we don't have anything approaching those level of protections in Australia. Mm. In the US, where innovation rules, the demand for innovation rules, even in the US, there's starting to be calls for laws that limit the use of surveillance technologies. As I've just said, consent is a really weak form of protection for individuals because consent can be inferred from wanting to do something. I want to go in the supermarket. I I can't not go in the supermarket, right? But yet Mm. I've given consent to be tracked as I walk around the supermarket by going in it. And the government could say, well, you don't want to, if you don't want to be filmed and be surveilled by technology, don't go to football games, don't go in public places, (laughs) don't go to public buildings. I don't think that's the answer. I think we need more than consent. I think we need a bit of debate about whether this is what we want and a really free and informed discussion about, you know, is this technology accurate? What are the downsides of it? How could this be used against individuals? You know, we've always said the risk of being wrongly identified and wrongly accused as a crime is so great. That's why we have all the predictions in us in our criminal justice system. If we're going to use technology such as facial recognition technology to make decisions about whether people are terrorists or criminals or have engaged in other unlawful activities, we want to be pretty sure that we're going to get it right and that the civil liberty protections around, around that. So I think it's a I think it's a big debate about the limits of government, but we can't even have that debate unless we know about the technology itself, which is, I think, you know, Mm, the benefit of this discussion. Yes. What is it? So where do you see Australia heading in the immediate and midterm in relation to this, if if things are as opaque as they seem? Well, I think think the the federal government is committed to an AI future, And I think the federal government has said that it wants to, you know, invest in 
you know, in the technology. And I think there's lots of potential in Australia to hold its own in the technology market. I think we have a lot of really creative people in Australia. I think we have some geographical challenges in Australia. We've got big distances and small numbers of people, and that means we should be able to think about the way technology might be rolled out to help remote communities or to create greater social inclusion in this big, sparsely populated country that we have. I think that Australia has something to contribute to the world in the way it both develops technology and also thinks about the the governance of technology. And the government wants to invest in technology and it also recognises the need to invest in cybersecurity because, of course, Mm -hmm. if you're going to be reliant on AI technologies, you've got to be aware of the risk of hacking. Like We become very vulnerable to cybercrime and so I think that we're going to see a big, uh, I hope we see a big investment, you know, in cyber safety or cyber security type responses. I would like to see the government tackle this head on and try and think about the way in which technology may be not just helpful but harmful and have a full, franked and informed discussion about that. Uh, recognise the need to put governance and protections in place and recognise there's just some places where we shouldn't use the technology. And if we can have that debate, then I think there's a great potential to use the technology for beneficial outcomes, the kinds I've discussed, you know, document processing in the health field. I think there's a lot of use of technology. I think rolling out education and business to our remote communities. There's a lot of interest in using AI for environmental protection, for example, to monitor air quality, to monitor moisture in the air, to monitor what's happening with crops on large you know, farms and the like. So there's a lot of really useful potential for AI, but we've just got to get away from this idea that it's a all or nothing technology, we're either in or out, and also a bit more nuance about the discussion of it. How the example you began with is an unrealistic illustration of what AI can do, mm. but it's the one that's often in people's heads. All of those movies that you see, so 2001, but also her ex machina, the Transformer movies, the Terminator movies, they go on and on. Those examples, Wally, are all unrealistic examples of AI. They, they well, assume that it's a living entity and it's not. It's sort of a statistics processing machine. Oh, well, that's encouraging to know. <laughs> so let's hope that uh, the debate does open a little further for, for people to get involved in and to learn a bit more about what's going on and the directions the government's heading in. Thanks, Jenny, for taking time out to discuss this very serious and complex issue tonight. And let's hope the government doesn't turn a tin ear to this really important matter. I've been talking with Jenny Patterson, Professor of Law at the University of Melbourne, about artificial intelligence technology, including the use of biometric data, its current applications in Australia, and why we should care. Thanks again, Jeannie. Total pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And if I can just say one more thing, Mm. there are some great resources out there for the community who'd like to know more. Um, I'm part of a centre called the Centre for AI and Digital Ethics. We have a lot of public events for people who'd like to think more deeply about what technology does. There's also the Australian Society for Computers and the Law and many other uh, options for people to 
find out a bit more about the technology. In Canberra, you have some great people who are doing this work at the ANU, Genevieve Bell and some others. So, you know, I'd say reach out to the universities, look what they're doing. And I think the, you know, citizens themselves can become more informed informed, and that's going to prompt the government, I think, to engage more wholeheartedly in this discussion about the potential of AI and the governance mechanisms we should have. Yes, well, I'll grab some of those resources off you and put the links on the Subject ACT Facebook page. Uh, Thank you. If you missed any part of the show, you can listen back by going to the Subject ACT page in the 2XX program guide at 2XXFM.org.au or you can check out our podcast anytime on SoundCloud by searching Subject ACT or just search Subject ACT in your favourite podcast app. I'm Heather Murray. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.